excited for today. If you stumbled in this morning for the first time, uh, or if you were not with us last week, we are beginning, or we started last week, a series on marriage. And we're talking about this, uh, the kind of framing this conversation around the idea that we are married to a mystery. And if you look at your spouse, you'd say, that is right. I am definitely married to a mystery. And that's kind of what we've been talking about because that's what it is, isn't it? And and this is an important conversation for us to have because most of us, not all, but most of us, at some point in our lives were, are, or will be married. And so it's just a part of, of who we are. And certainly if we're not married, there's relationships that we have. And a lot of what we talk about during the series also works towards us helping us to understand how to have greater and stronger and deeper relationships. And so we've been talking about this quite a bit. And last week we talked about how the, the, the biggest problem we have in marriage and really in life comes back to the fact that we are, we are by nature selfish people, Right? That's just part of it. And so if we are going to learn or if we're able to do and walk away from that, we have to be spirit-led. That's the power for marriage. And so uh, we make no bones about it, that if you're going to walk away from being a selfish person, you have to be led by the Spirit out of that thing because it's not normal or natural. Naturally, we are selfish people, right? And you look at it again, your spouse would say, that's right, honey. But then they look at you and say the same thing. And so, but, but anyway, you know, that's, that's kind of where we are. And last week, I kind of joked about this a, a little bit and that there's some things when you're first married or first date that are kind of cute or attractive to you about your girlfriend or boyfriend, but then the longer you're married, the less attractive they are. Let's just say that, right? And so I did a dangerous thing this week, and I asked my wife what that was for her. And that's dangerous because she immediately shot back. Like, she had this one in the hopper, man. I don't know what it was, but she, like, it didn't, didn't think she didn't have to, like, well, I don't know. She was like, bam, I know what it is. She said, when you were first, when we were first dating, she goes, I loved how energetic and how busy and how fun you were. You never want to sit still and you always want to do stuff. She goes, I loved that. And I said, but, right? And she goes, yeah. And I said, I'm still like that, babe. Like, okay, so like, does that mean we have some issues? And she goes, well, no. She just said, you know, now sometimes I'd like you to spend a Saturday where we don't have to do something. You know, and that's true. I don't like sitting around very much. Uh, Saturdays, usually, if we're in a PJs in the morning sipping hot cocoa, by the afternoon, I'm going nuts. Like, let, get me out of here. We got to do something. And so, well, when we were first dating, I love the opposite about her. I love that I didn't have to be busy and crazy and fun. I, we could just kind of chill and sit back, and we could just kind of enjoy a, a movie together when we were dating. But the longer you're married, we've been married 14 years this year, those things have a tendency to change, don't they? I, I think of a couple I counseled one time where uh, when the, this, the, the girl, the, the woman, she slurped her soup when she ate it, Okay. And so you think, well, that's no big deal, right? The guy said that was attractive to him when they were dating. But the problem was, was that as they were married longer, what happened was they were in my office for some pretty serious marriage counseling sessions. And don't worry, it's nobody here, okay? So I'm like, who was that? No, it's no one here. It's a long time ago this, this was, but I'll never forget it. And this, they were on the brink of divorce, and they fought like crazy because the guy was like, can't you eat your soup and your food like normal? And so he's going on, they're upset about this and angry, and I stopped and I said, don't you see the irony here? 
Because, dude, back in the day when you guys were dating, you liked it, now you can't stand it. That's kind of ironic, and he didn't quite see it that way. But, but those, there's those kind of things that happen in our marriage, aren't there? And, and if you want to do a dangerous thing, ask your spouse what yours is. I'll promise you, you're going to love that. But, but there's a change that happens, isn't there? And you ever think about why the change happens? Why, why we go from what's cute to no longer, why does that happen? How does that work? And, and I was thinking about that, and, and really in a lot of ways, it's because we will always regress to the norm, won't we? What is fresh and fun and new and exciting when you're dating, the longer you're married, unless you work on your marriage, unless you spend time understanding your spouse and doing what we're going to talk about today, you have the regression to the norm, and the norm is selfishness, isn't it? The norm is kind of living and serving my own little world, and, and, and that is the enemy number one in your relationships. It's the enemy number one in your marriages, and God gave you a Swiss army knife tool to help you to break out of that box. And that Swiss army knife tool is hopefully sitting right next to you this morning. If not, maybe you're fighting. But never. No, my wife's actually not here today. She's back. She's serving elsewhere. But, but, but you know, that is the case. Your spouse is God's greatest tool in your life for discipleship. Which is why sometimes you're like, would you just knock it off? Because it's hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard to have God challenge us through somebody else. But it's an incredible opportunity for God to grow us and to minister in us. And so on that note, we look at what our text is for the series, which is Ephesians chapter 5. And where we're starting and really kind of focusing a lot on verse 21. So go ahead and open your Bibles to that. It's such a, a powerful such an amazing passage on marriage. And he, Paul starts out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 21 saying, Submitting, everyone say submitting, to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, that's pretty hard, isn't it? It's hard to, to do that because submission breaks selfishness. And I've got a little saying that I say to my kids sometimes, but based on Winnie the Pooh, because that my kids are young. And so I saw this one time on one of their shows, and, and he was like looking for something. It was kind of hard. He was kind of trying to find it, this honey in this tree. And he found it, and he's like, oh, that's, that's where the honey is. And I was like, I'm keeping that. I'm using that. So, so that's where the honey is. It's hard sometimes, it's difficult sometimes to, to walk through this and submit to one another, but this is where it is. And I talked again about this, and I'm almost done with the review part, but you can't do battle with that unless you are led by the Spirit. That was our whole week last week, that this passage we're going to dive into, its predecessor is the first part of this chapter, and this married life, this whole life of relationships and such, it is powered by us being led by the Spirit. We have to be led by Him to lead us out of these things, and it's difficult, if not impossible, without His presence and power in our life. Let's continue today. Verses uh, 22 on to 33 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord's. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself is its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So again, under the inspiration from God, Paul paints this incredibly powerful picture for marriage here in this spot. And Paul uses a very interesting brushstroke as he, as he paints this picture. Uh, of course, for many of us, the brushstroke is very similarly, and we kind of look at this in the submission and the, the leadership and all those kind of things, and, and, and I'm baiting you, yes, but we're going to really dive deeply into that next week. But Paul p- paints this incredible brushstroke for what the picture, God's picture for marriage is. And what's fascinating is Paul uses, and Paul, and you may not know this, but, but Paul immediately speaks, speaks to and, ta- and quotes verbatim from, a, from a, a scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So Paul goes to the creation story. So we have to do that as well if we're going to fully understand what, what Paul is working at here with marriage. We have to go backwards to what the creation story tells us. Because God in this passage here gives us a picture, and that picture is really a lot like a math problem. And the math problem is this. It is 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. Now, if you go to your math teacher, kids, and you say, my pastor said that one, you know, like do math, and they say, no, 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 my pastor said, because he's always right, my pastor said 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 1, they'll say, you're wrong, and that would, of course, be right. That's not math in normal sense. But what God does in this passage is God gives us what's called as marriage math. When he gives us the picture of marriage, which is 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. It's not one half plus one half plus one equals one. It's not one quarter plus one and one half equal plus one equals one. It's none of those things. It's one plus one plus one equals one. It's marriage math this morning. And so what he does here is he focuses in on Genesis chapter one, uh, verse, verse 24. And we're going to skip down a little bit beyond that to verse 26. And, and this is what he says about that moment. Listen, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God right there, in our, this, the scripture here, gives us what is known as a nod to the Trinity. This God does not exist as one. God exists. God is one who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice there's three there, whatever, that's for free. But, but he, he walks this through here. And he says, let us do this. Let us. And so this is a nod to a team. 
That God works in this way, and this is very much the foundation for this passage here as he continues. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock of the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image, in the image of God, and that's important again, in his image. What is his image? Well, his image was the our words, right? So God speaks to those things, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, i got to push pause for a minute because this gives us some very compelling, very clear direction on how God sees marriage, and I'm not going to get deeply into this this morning because I don't need to because it will take away from where we're going. But, but I have to say this this morning. God's design for marriage is a man and a woman. Okay? It just is. It's not a man and a man or a woman and a woman or a man and a man and a woman, whatever. None of those things. That breaks the math up. But what it also does is it takes away from what God is, the picture God's painting here of completion. Because whether you know it or not, your spouse is different from you, right? Your spouse is not the same. And young people, if you're not married yet, you say, you got that part. You got the looks part. But trust me, when you're married for a couple years, you'll realize how different that person is. Different's not bad. Different is a wonderful thing. Our culture is trying to normalize brokenness and trying to take what God has beautifully put together and bring a, a place and a, and a spot of, of change and, and, and just, just, some, just some awful stuff to it and make us think that marriage is not about God and his and completion and love and what he's done. Marriage is just a convenient thing when two people just love each other, they make a family. That's not God's design for marriage. It's very clear how he speaks to this right here. Now, if you have a question on that, if you're like, I disagree, man, I would love to have coffee with you sometime. And, and I would love to chat about that because I want to walk through what the scriptures tell us. Because if you do and walk through what the scriptures tell us about these things, you will find just an amazing picture of what God's called us to. You see, this is an amazing passage. But it can be missed if we don't look closely here. And it talks about how a marriage can be a blessing to both members in an incredible way. When God here says, they have dominion, they will reign, they will reign, and I will add, with authority that has been given, not earned. God gave mankind a, an authority that's been given and not earned, and that, that authority comes through and comes down to us in the form of marriage. Now, when you think of marriage, what picture comes to your mind? Now, I might have kind of, you know, somewhat baited you this morning on what the picture might be. See, because for me, when I thought of this question this week, I thought of this picture. I don't know why. I couldn't get out of my head. And so I, I just kept thinking about, when I think of the picture of marriage, what picture do I think of? Well, I thought of this. It's the American Gothic. And of course, you've seen this before. Everybody has. It's a well-known painting, and it's a very fascinating well-known painting, isn't it? This picture here speaks to and shows us what is, for many cases and much of history, has been what people think of when they think of marriage. These people don't look very happy, do they? 
You know, they look pretty miserable. You know, you've got the, the man there, uh, weathered and, and struggling. He's holding his pitchfork. You've got the woman who looks kind of uh, like she's not really sure what's going on with this guy and what's going on with her life. Maybe she's thinking, I, I, did, I married you for this. I've got some cows and chickens and you got a pitchfork. That's my life. I mean, you know, I don't know. But, but this can sometimes be our picture of marriage, Right? Boring, unfulfilling, struggling, difficult. I don't know what yours is. Again, this is what I thought of when I, I thought of marriage. But, but see, God painted a very clear picture. But our culture has repurposed that and repositioned that painting to look something different. See, maybe people's picture of marriage is of a king and a slave of a man who is the unquestioned, unbelievable head of the household, and the woman is his little servant who comes down here and does his bidding. That might be your picture of marriage. It might also be your picture of marriage to have the queen bee, so to speak, in the house, who is the queen, who's the one, and she has a, a little joker down here to keep her, her, her life more interesting, but, but she is the one. She is the, the woman of the household, and she does it all. That's a picture people have of marriage. Some pictures might be one person who's a winner and one person who is a loser. Some pictures are both losers and both people that are just struggling and walking through life unhappy and uneasy and losing at everything and unfulfilled and have a connection as loose as possibly could be. In some situations, it is, it is too lowly and powerless, pieces of dirt with no power or authority. See, when God paints this picture here, he paints it with the idea that he has given us authority as a king and queen co-regency. As a team, as a couple who together, who bring different things to the relationship and come together as one to accomplish a purpose and a mission together. Not as one here and one down here, vice versa or whatever, but with a purpose and a, pur- and a reason. See, it's a team that is operating and ruling and reigning and responding to the call of God under the authority the creator, King Jesus, has given us. That's the picture that God gave us right here. And this shows us in verse uh, verse 18 of chapter 2, we skip down a little bit, it shows us the picture of how it literally happened. He says this in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. You notice there, creation's not yet complete. Man does not yet have his us, and so it's not finished. And so I will make him a helper, or your Bible might say a helpmate, that is fit for him. And this is what I really want to focus on today a lot. Because I would venture to guess if you walked up to most people on the streets today and you said, what part of this passage is offensive or potentially offensive to somebody, it would be the word helper right here in this passage. This is known at times as being a negative. It's known at times as being something that is not as demeaning or is, is, is not, not fit for a lady. So it's, oh, she's my little helper, right? And that's, that's the thought sometimes people have of this passage. Kind of like this. And 
uh, I go into Home Depot a lot because I love it. And so I, I go to Home Depot and, and, and sometimes bring my girls with me. Uh, and I love when they go with me because daddy-daughter time in my favorite store. And so we'll, we'll go in there. And a few months back, we went in with, I went with one of my girls and we had to buy some light bulbs. And so we bought these light bulbs, and thankfully, the light bulbs were in a very well-packaged box because uh, the girl, the one, I won't tell you which one it was, but the one that it was dropped the package on the ground. And it was an expensive light bulb and such, and so I was like, oh, no, but it was fine because it's packaged well, and so we picked it up and walked to the front of the store. And of course, the, the, the cashier, who I, I know a few of the cashiers now there, we just, there a lot. And so she goes, oh, you got your little helper here today, huh? And I kind of looked and patted her head. I said, yep, she's my little helper. And she has a big smile on her face and so proud that she is helping daddy. And the cashier thought, oh, that's, that's so nice. And, and, and that's the picture, though, sometimes people have of this passage when it refers to the wife. She's my little helper. Now, if I said to my wife, she's my little helper, well, actually, I, I, I actually did one time because that's the kind of guy that I am. And so one time, I, just kind of, I was joking around. I was like, yeah, this is my little helper. And I, my, my ribs are probably still bruised from that because, you know, she's like just the right size to just jab me. But, you know, my wife's not my little helper, Right? And, and it's not just, but, but that's not just an idea that I have, or not just a cultural thing. That's literally how this passage is written. So if you look at this passage, this word helper in the scripture, the Hebrew word for this is the Hebrew word azer. And this Hebrew word azer, which is the word for helper here, is a fascinating, fantastic word. This word appears in the Old Testament 22 times. This word appears in the Old Testament. And two of those times are here in this passage, but also a few verses down in verse 20. So two times it's used in the exact same way, referring to the wife being the helper in the marriage. But don't you know that the rest of these times, it is used in a very different way. Now, the rest of the times it's used, it's used as a reference to what God does with his people and what God does in the life of his people. Here are some examples, and again, there's 20 of them, but I'll, I pulled a couple out today. These are my summaries, and so it's not verbatim, but this is, my, uh, uh, this is the Steve kind of annotated version of these passages. He helped them out of slavery with his outstretched hands. Trust in the Lord, he is the help and shield. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Happy is, is he that has God as his helper. So what you look at this passage and you say, well, God is my little helper, please. Right? Of course not. See, that's why it's so important for us to understand what the, what the word says. You see, this word here is better translated as the word fortifier. The word fortifier is a much more literal translation for what this passage here tells us. And so, so men, you are the leader of your household. Lead it someplace. You, God has made you and God has called you and God has given you unique abilities and strengths to lead your household. 
Again, I'm baiting you. We're going to get into this part in very, very large detail next week. But I have to say, you have been called as the leader, so lead it someplace. And that place to lead your household to is not to the couch. It's not to the whatever. It is God's called you to lead it under his authority to do and to be what you have been called to do and be. God has given you a specific calling. You are not to be the king and she's the servant. She is not your queen and you are the village idiot. You are not the couch potato, the checkbook, the fun maker, the angry jerk, the bullet taker, the mechanic. No. You've been called by God to lead. You've been called by God to listen to his voice, be led by the Spirit, and to do what he has called you to do. You see, that's hard unless you do battle with what so often causes us guys to struggle with this, and that's selfishness. You see, it's hard to do that unless you are led by the Spirit. And God gave you, men, God gave you a Swiss army knife blessing tool to help you with that. And she is sitting right next to you, and that is your wife. And you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're like, honey, just knock it off. But see, she's not your little helper. She's not your queen, and you're the little servant. You are called together to lead in a co-regency in so many ways, and it's so good because my wife is not my little helper, but so often my wife has been the fortifier of the call that God has placed on our family to do what God's called us to do. I can't tell you the times when my wife has fortified our vision, when she has fortified the mission God's given us together as a couple. There's been many times like this. I'll talk about one in, in, a, in a little bit. But as we have walked and led our family, as I am the leader and she is helping me to do these things, it's not me here and, and she's here. So oftentimes it's opposite. I consider myself the lead servant of my family. And men, if we'll do and live and operate like that, you don't have to worry about a lot of the things that you worry about when you will first lead your wife to service. Women, you are not the subservient, dutiful, lowly servant there to happily and dutifully take whatever he dishes out to you. That's not your call. It's not what God's made you to be. God's not made you to be that kind of a person or that kind of a call. You're not the queen bee, and he's your joker to entertain you. You are not the one who has to hold all the plates up in the air and try to do the best that you can do to keep it all together because you have no help. That's not God's picture for marriage. That might be the reality in your life. Any one of those pictures I have painted for you today could be the picture that's hanging on the wall of the home in your life. But it's not the picture that God paints of marriage. See, unfortunately, too many of us have pictures hanging on the walls of our homes that God never painted. Culture did, or the enemy did, or frustration of marriage and examples we've seen in our lives or not seen. You've seen the picture Selfishness, where the motivator is, whose motivator is for the protection and benefit of self first. The selfishness is the brush and the paint is the unsubmitted sin. God gave you the gift of your spouse to paint a different picture. 
Because really, and I didn't finish the math problem before, you see God's picture of marriage and God's math for marriage is one plus one who is submitted plus one who is submitted that equals one. I could have Lori come forward this morning, just play real quietly behind me. See, this is the picture that God has called us to paint into our marriages. And again, we'll get deeply far into next week what this means as far as leadership and such goes. But you have to know this morning that, again, the very first step is to be spirit-led. The very next step for us this morning is to understand how God sees and how God sees it. That God's given us a purpose and a reason and God has given us a blessing. And see, when it's the Holy Spirit plus the husband plus the wife, there is wholeness. And you can take away one of these things and you might, have, a, you might have, have one submitted plus one submitted, but that does not equal one because you will find yourself in a place fighting with and battling with things that you can't do battle with unless the Holy Spirit is involved. There are many marriages, maybe even here this morning, that are represented where, where God is, is there, but one of the spouses is not. Or one of the spouses is half there, or, or a quarter there, or three quarters there, or 95% there, but not in wholeness. And the marriage has suffered and struggled. You see, you may have a marriage like this, and you say, God, why, why, why? Which what you don't realize is God hasn't called you to change your spouse. God has called you to work with your spouse to be a disciple maker, and that's your call and your purpose. Now, now ladies, God's not called you to be there and be beat on and be abused and be misused and mistreated. No! God's not called for you to do that. But God has called us to serve. And, and men, if we'll serve, ladies, if we'll serve, and we'll serve, the scripture tells us to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. We might see some change happen in our lives. This is God's picture for marriage. There was a, a time I can think of when my wife and I were interviewing for a job, and it was a, a, a large, it was when I was still youth pastoring. It, it had come to a place where we knew that it was time for us to leave our, our post and go elsewhere, and so I had somehow gotten an interview with a very uh, well-known uh, pastor in a very well-known church in our denomination, and, and he, they flew, me, flew us to Chicago, and we sat down, and they put us up in this really nice hotel, and we had this beautiful dinner. It was just awesome. And this pastor is like name-dropping the entire time of all the people that he knows. And, and I didn't see, my wife did. I didn't, I was like, I was blown away. I was like, I'm sitting here with so-and-so, and they're interviewing me to be the youth pastor. I was like, I was blown away. It was a great career move. And I'll be honest with you, I thought like that because I was like, man, I do this, and I'll, I'll write my own ticket. You're like, wow, this is our pastor. Yes, I, I'm not perfect, okay? I'm just, just not. But thankfully, God gave me a wife. See, as we're sitting there in this, in this room, and we're talking this stuff through, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, and there was, the, the money was going to be great. There was so many opportunities. It was this going to be awesome? A beautiful youth center. I mean, all this great stuff. My wife had this uneasy spirit the entire time. We got to our hotel room afterwards, and she said, Steve, we can't do this. I said, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Think about what, okay, we, want, we know we need to leave. Think of what he's offering. I mean, think of all the opportunity and all the, the chances. I mean, there's just so much there. She goes, 
she was, we can't go. It's not right. She said, but Steve, I will go because I love you and because I trust you, but you have to know I don't feel good about this. So what we did is we made this a matter of prayer and we said, okay, let's pray this through and, and we prayed it, spent a couple weeks in prayer and, and this pastor has called us and he'd asked us, what's your answer? We didn't have it yet and we said, well, give us to the end of this week and we'll, we'll pray this through and my, my prayer and my wife's prayer was very similar. God, speak to us and, and, and lead us and, and at one moment, God spoke to me and he said, I've given you your, your wife as a blessing and as a gift for you. Listen to her. So I made one of the most difficult calls of my life at that point. And I called this pastor and I said, I can't do it. He said, why? And I said, my, I just don't feel right about it. It's not, not the place for us. It was hard to do that. I'll tell you a few months later, it had come back to this pastor who was having an affair and there was all this kind of stuff. And the church had fallen on itself. It was just this big, humongous disaster and mess that we would have been smack dab in the middle of. My wife is a blessing. My wife is a gift to me that God has given to help my knuckleheadedness sometimes to listen. Your wife's not your enemy. Wives, your husband's not your enemy. You work together as a team. One plus one plus one equals one. And when our culture tells us otherwise, when our culture says the picture for marriage is something else, it is not. It's what God has called it to be. See, my wife's not a threat to me or my leadership. Your spouse is not a threat to you or your future or your life. Your spouse is a gift that God has blessed you with to help you be discipled. I learned so much that, in that moment about listening to and trusting God's voice. And if I was knuckleheaded and I said, no way, you're wrong, I'd have missed that. I don't say that to Brig. Trust me, she's the, she's the one story. I, 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 I can be a, a, a bullhead sometimes. But God's blessed me, and God's blessed you, the wonderful spouse. See, when we allow God to paint the picture of our marriage, the Holy Spirit has a way of nudging us back, and the picture God has painted for our marriages is a beautiful one. Would you stand across this room today? Would you hold your spouse's hand this morning? If you're here and you're not married today or you're here and your spouse isn't here, just think about them this morning. Remember, we're in church. Think about your spouse this morning. If you're not married today and, and yet, and maybe you're engaged or maybe you're a long time from being married, I just want you to just, just pause for a minute and and it's begin to pray for that person you'll marry someday. God knows who it is, and you don't yet, but God does. And God has that person per perfectly placed and, and planted out. And what I want us to do right now is I want us to grip the hand of our spouse. And this might be hard for you because maybe right now, maybe this morning, you had a fight coming to church. And you're like, we're going to get through this today, and we're going to go home. And I'm going to the basement. You go upstairs, and I don't want to talk to you one more time. Well, grab her hand or grab his hand anyway. And what I want us to do this morning is a very simple thing. And just tell God, thank you. Are they perfect? No. But neither are you. 
Are they exactly how you thought they would be when you married them 20 or 30 years ago? Probably not. You're not either. Do they do everything right? Nope. But you don't either. Do they frustrate you at times? Yes. Do they bless you at times? I hope so. See, that's a picture God's placed and painted for marriage. Jesus, we thank you for our spouse. Lord, we thank you, God, for a husband or for our wife. Lord, be there now or, or someday, Lord Jesus, we thank you for them. And Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, help us, Lord, to learn and to grow into what you would have for us together. That, Lord, you would unite marriages and unite families. Lord, give families a call and a dream and a purpose. That, Lord, doesn't involve just small, lowly things, but, Lord, big things. Lord, place dreams in the hearts of husbands and wives. Lord, to go up to missions trips, or, or Lord, to serve the unservable, or Lord, to, to preach, or to teach, or to raise ch more children, or to, to be foster parents, or Lord, whatever it might be, Lord, place a, a dream in their hearts, Lord, together as one. And Jesus, we together, Lord, serve you as king and, and queen. Lord, as the co-regency, Jesus, as you had, had, had placed it from the beginning of time. Lord, keep us led by your Spirit. Lord, I pray for our guys that, Lord, you would lead them to lead their families to you. I pray for our wives, that, Lord, you would lead our wives, Lord Jesus, to be our fortifiers. Lord, be the, the fortifiers of the mission. That, Lord, as we lead, as, Lord, together as a couple, that, Lord, the men would have the dream and the women would have the, the fortifying and such. And, and, Lord, you would minister and you would work in these situations that, Lord, together as one, it would be a beautiful picture exactly as you had seen fit. And Lord, for those here today that are struggling, Lord, through miscommunication, or Lord, if there is unrepented, or if there is unmitigated sin in the relationship, I pray, Jesus, for clarity. I pray for light. I pray for confession to be made. Lord, I pray for, Lord, you to minister in these situations. I pray, Lord, for those families, Lord, where the, 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 the husband and wife are, to, are apart so much they don't know each other anymore. Lord, give them creativity to come back together. Lord, for those children, Lord, Jesus, to see a, a, an example that is godly and is good to follow. Lord, for the young people that are here that are saying, ah, I'm going to get married someday, but I don't know to who. Jesus, I pray that you would lead them and guide them through all of these years to the right one. And Lord, for those of us who are not married, Lord, we may not be married because we don't want to be. We may not be married because it went bad and it's, it, was a, it was a tough thing and, and, and life happened and, and things happened and now we find ourselves apart. Jesus, I pray for you to speak. Lord, for you, as your word says, to be the father to the fatherless, Lord, the husband to the widow, the husband to the, to the one who has none, Lord, that she would be the, the, Lord, the companion to the man who has no wife, Lord, that she would minister and you would work in these situations. And Lord, teach us to what to do and to invest in, in our lives and invest in our futures as well. And Jesus, that we would be married again. 
Give us the wisdom and the understanding to do it well. Lord, to have a marriage that is, Lord, painted by the brush of the Holy Spirit and not the culture in the world. I pray this in your strong and holy name. And everyone says, 